Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. And I am very, very, very excited. For the first time in what feels like 50 billion years, I have an honest-to-goodness new co-host on this podcast. It's not just going to be me talking to my reflection in the camera for half an hour. I actually have someone brand new on the podcast, a fellow Herald Sun journalist. His name is Athos Syrianos. Athos, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Through the Banner podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Good day, Casper. I'm very honoured to be running Through the Banner alongside with you tonight. <laughs> I'm very keen to, to explore all the talking points in the footy world where on the Casper finals we'll have a, a week's rest next week with the buy and then straight into it again. So we've picked the perfect time to, to run through together. Absolutely. And um, we're getting to what apparently Ross Lyon calls the real season. So according to him, the real season is about to begin, which I think is an insult to the 10 teams that aren't going to make it. But anyways, um, how about before we get into the main talking points, I'll, um, I'll get you to introduce yourself, mate, just briefly. Yeah, sure. So my name's Athos. I barrack for the Tigers. I work with Casper. We're pretty much desk buddies. We're within handballing distance of each other and we often have a good footy chat. So I was very excited when he asked me to, to join him on the podcast tonight. Mate, I've got to say, it's always a pleasure having a chat with you in the office about football. I should stress, if anyone from work is listening to this, we do focus 99.999% of the time on work. Mm-hmm. But the rest of the time we talk about football. Um, but uh, Richmond supported a little bit disappointing how the season's come to an end. You saw the game on against North Melbourne, was it correct? You you were at the game with Jack Rewalt and Trent Cotchin's last game, were you? No, I was actually listening while on the stakeout and Leon Gaffer. So I didn't get to ah. see it live. Uh, I saw plenty of the highlights though, but it looked like a, a wonderful occasion. I'm, I'm very happy that they managed to get a lot of supporters out for what ultimately was a dead rubber game, but uh, a culturally significant game considering the, the careers of those two legends uh, came to an end. So I think they got just shy of 60,000, which is a, a great return considering it was Richmond versus North Melbourne. So I was very happy with the way that, that ended out. They, they did it really well. They made it a real special occasion uh, mm-hmm. for everyone involved, as well as for Zach Zebel, who also uh, retired on Saturday as well. Yes, indeed. Um, so in case this is your first episode listening, uh, first time listening to the Through the Banner podcast, dear listener, we split the podcast into three different sections. First, we'll each give our top two highlights and top two lowlights, because for every highlight, unfortunately, there is a lowlight that is the yin to the yang that is the world of AFL footy. We'll then dive into the major talking points. And I don't know about you, Athos, but I cannot think of a crazier four or five days in the world of AFL. So much happened in such a short period of time on the field and off of it. And I think we've got to just, it's going to, it's going to be a bit of a long episode, but we have to cover all of it before we dive into round 24 predictions. The home and away season concludes starting with tomorrow night's clash between Essendon and Collingwood. Um, But first we will start off with the first section. Athos, what were your top two highlights of a hectic round 23? I really enjoyed Carlton versus Gold Coast, particularly Charlie Kurnow's performance. He was excellent in up front and also in defence. He took the match-saving mark and 
Gold Coast have made a bit of a habit of uh, pinching games late, uh, but Charlie denied them that opportunity. I thought his mark on the siren, or pretty much on the siren, was was excellent. The under, he's really solidified himself as a, a top 10, 15 player in the competition. And second highlight, probably have to go to uh, Jack, Cochin and Zebel, the way that they walked off the MCG. It was unfortunate what happened to Zebel uh, in the hours afterwards, but uh, from Saturday at, at 5 p.m. at the MCG, the, the scenes looked, uh, you know, quite appropriate to, to see off those three legends of their respective clubs. So I think those two for me were, were my favourite. I think those are great highlights for me. My number one highlight is going to go to another big forward who I think that many football fans will agree he hasn't quite lived up to the hype that he first garnered in his early, early career at Melbourne. Never really took off at the D's after that 2015-2016 start um, and then went over to Fremantle for ultimately a couple of very uh, – uh, disappointing seasons. Uh, I'm, of course, referring to Jesse Hogan, who career best nine goals against Essendon, an incredible individual performance. And he's having a great season just from a goal kicking perspective. It is his uh, most fruitful campaign since 2018, which was his last year at Melbourne. And uh, he's turning into a reliable forward, I think, this season. And hopefully, hopefully, for his. Um, confidence and for the Giants as well he's able to continue that into the finals and into well assuming they make it and into 2024 my second highlight will definitely be the St Kilda Football Club when you go back to 2022 round nine the Saints beat the Cats at, at Marvel Stadium and at that point in the season I think the Saints were something like seven and two and the Cats were five and four and you would you would have been forgiven for thinking that that was where the trajectory was going. Saints were going to be finishing top six, and the Cats were going to miss out on finals. And we know what happened from there. The Saints season imploded, and the Cats wouldn't lose again in 2022. So to have the opportunity, in a way, to exact revenge, kind of. It's not direct revenge in the normal sense, but it's kind of revenge because they were able to... I think, exercise the demons from last year in terms of their mid-season fade-out. They had a little bit of a mid-season fade-out this time around, but to turn it around like they have the last few weeks, St. Kilda has been uber-impressive. And to take it up to a team that had dominated them, dominated them, Geelong's recent record against St. Kilda is incredible, to turn it around on the Cats in the manner that they did was uber-impressive. And for me... The Saints, I think, are probably the most impressive team of the season so far. No, Geelong has bullied St Kilda. They've, you know, spanked them for more than a decade, really, pretty much since that 2009 grand final. St Kilda have been Geelong's bunnies, and the Saints needed to win last week. I think previous St Kilda sides, well, I think St Kilda for the last... 10 years have been a banter club, really. They've fallen short. They've choked on the big occasions. They they haven't lived up to expectations. There's a running joke amongst St Kilda fans that every time there's a, a marquee game, like a Spuds game or a, or a Maddie's match, uh, they always lose. So for them to come out with intent and, and with a final spot on the line to beat Geelong is fantastic. And if St Kilda are keeping teams to below 70 points, 
and yet you're halfway towards winning games. Absolutely. No, I think Ross Lyon, I think Ross Lyon has, has proven a few doubters wrong over the last month or so. Mm. Um, I think after the loss to Gold Coast, I think quite a lot of people had doubts that it was the right move to move on from Rats. And I'm not saying that it was because it was an ugly, ugly, ugly split, Um, especially after they contracted him and then three months later kicked him out. But at the same time, I think ultimately their move and their faith in Ross Lyon, at least this season, has been justified. But for every single highlight, there is a low light as well. And I'll get us with I'll get us started with the low lights. And for me, there can only be one when you lose by over a hundred points. Hmm. It kind of you kind of deserve to be on the low lights mentions on the Through the Banner podcast. Um it was the fifth biggest loss in Ethanin's history stretching back to 1897 in the VFL. Not only that, but our biggest loss since 2006. And I'll take you back to that 2006 game for a second. Essendon versus Adelaide, round 10. And I remember this scoreline, not because I was watching footy at the time, but because years later I was checking the scores on Wikipedia from previous seasons. And I saw this scoreline and it stood out like a pair of dogs bollocks. It was Adelaide 188 to Essendon, 50. An yes. absolute shambolic performance. With that being said, though, I'll contextualise that game. Essendon were coming off the back of a very successful period from 96 to 2004, where we made finals every single season. And predictably, the bottom fell out of us, and we needed to hit the draft in 2005-2006, so a couple of backward steps for us. Adelaide, by contrast were the, probably after West Coast and Sydney, the dominant team of the 2005 to 2006 stretch. And they were very unlucky not to make the grand final in 2006. Mm. They were dominant. So in the context of the 2006 season, for as bad as that scoreline was, it made sense. It made sense. However, in the context of this 2023 season, the Bombers and the Giants were one spot away from each other on the ladder. Heading into it with both clubs needing a win, had they lost, either club would have been eliminated from the finals, realistically. And then Essendon come out and deliver the most lackluster performance I've ever seen. I don't know who described it, who described us as witches hats, but there was someone who described us as witches hats. I think that's an insult to witches hats. Because they put in quite a lot of work, witches hats. You know, they direct traffic. They, you know, you can use them as an obstacle course if you're learning how to drive. You can even, you know, if you if you wanted to and you run out of tones, you can use them for footy training drills. They do quite a lot of work. We were worse than witches hats. We were like koalas, only there for the aesthetics of our cool-looking jumpers, and we did absolutely nothing else. Utterly pointless, but at least we're good-looking to look at. Unbelievable. What a shambolic, shambolic performance. And the other low light, which we will, well, I don't know if we'll discuss later. Maybe we will, maybe we won't, but I... I do feel like I need to mention this. The Jack Zebel situation, I think for me, 
kind of provided a little bit of uh, reflection on the fact that footy is just a game at the end of the day. But to attack anyone randomly and unprovoked is an act of absolute cowardice. But to have it happen to someone who is celebrating the end of an incredible career, a difficult career in terms of success, but an incredible career, real warrior he's been for the kangaroos. And for it to end like that in hospital, needing surgery on his face is absolutely horrific. I hope that they find whoever has done this. And if found guilty, my preferred method of punishment would be for North Melbourne supporters to throw marshmallows at them as violently as possible. Obviously, that won't happen. But in a, on a serious note, it is a terrible thing to have happened. And if for some reason the perpetrators are listening to this, you are worse than scum. You are absolutely disgusting human being, whoever you are. What about you, Athos? Your top two lowlights from the weekend. I thought the Western Bulldogs were quite putrid. For a team that looks like a top four contender a few weeks ago when they uh, dismantled Richmond, they kicked nine goals in a enthralling opening quarter for Bulldogs fans. They couldn't miss. To then come out and lose to what we're calling the worst team since Fitzroy, who's actually won three games this season. So it's a respectable 17th place finish. But to lose to them at Marvel... And they lost the week before too. So their last two weeks have been terrible. Bulldogs fans are probably wondering what's going on. Luke Beveridge would be under a bit of pressure now. They they can still, they probably will make finals still. But they did the same thing last year. Last year, I think they beat the Giants to, to qualify for finals in the last round. And then were help, helped out by uh, Carlton's almighty choke. But say the Bulldogs... Say you make finals if you're the Bulldogs this year. You scrape into eighth. Okay, good on you. But then if you, if you go out the same way, you lose to Carlton by, you know, four or five goals in that first elimination final, you haven't really achieved much. You haven't really improved, have you? You've fallen into finals the same way two years in a row, and you've probably been knocked out of finals the same way two years in a row. So I think they'll really need to make some changes, uh, the Bulldogs, heading into 2024. And the other one, which was perhaps the most controversial moment we've seen in years, was the the lack of goal review used in the Adelaide game, which, I mean, it's almost ironic because we, we want the our goal umpires to to be assertive and to be sure and confident, and which, which this one was. This one was adamant that it hit the post. Uh, so I, I think some of the commentary around this one Casper has been lost a bit because people are calling for an overhaul of the score review system, but the score review system wasn't even used yeah. for this one. It was just a, a simple human error where this guy should have gone to look, uh, should have gone to check. But, you know, we, we, we say, if you're sure, yeah, you're sure. We want them to be sure. So it's a bit of, I think the carry on has been a bit inconsistent. I mean, it was, it was a, a, a horrible error. It, it shouldn't have happened, but, I mean, to suggest that we need overhauls, we, we do need changes, but the, what we had in place would have rectified this. 
mm. if, if that makes sense. Mm. So, uh, and there was still a minute to go. So even if it was a goal, who's to say Sydney wouldn't go off the other end and, and kick a winning score? But that's either here or there. It was a very controversial moment. And for Adelaide, it means that their season's done. So uh, they'll be able to point to that moment as to why they didn't make the finals, unfortunately. Well, let's dive into talking about the score review system as our first kind of main talking point out of the weekend. For those who don't know, for those who have lived under a rock for the last few days, Ben Keyes kicked what was an unbelievable goal up against the boundary line. Beautiful kick with under two minutes to go to put the Crows up after trailing by 40-odd points in the second quarter. And it was an incredible turnaround from the Adelaide Football Club. Uh, But the umpire thought that it was a behind, signaled a behind, didn't use the score review system. And as a result, the Swans were able to hold on to the lead and run out the clock to eliminate the Adelaide Crows from finals contention. Now, I'll be honest, as a Swan supporter, at first, I thought that it hit the post. I thought that it hit the padding on the post. And I thought, geez, that is unlucky. How unlucky do you have to get to hit the top of the padding from there? That would be harder than actually kicking a goal from there. That's incredible. It would be like hitting the top of the crossbar for about 60 meters out. And then watching the replays, it dawned on me that it was nowhere near the padding. And the goal umpire was in just about the worst position that he could have been. He would have been in a better position had he been stood on the other side of the post with his head in the goalpost like this without actually being able to see anything. That would have been a better position because at least he would have felt the footy hitting the post. I don't. It, that was such a shambolic position for the umpire to be in. But it's interesting that you mentioned that we want goal umpires to be empowered to make decisions. I don't know if you remember this, Athos, but... Earlier in the season, Collingwood versus Sydney, BT was absolutely laying into one of the goal umpires who asked for like five score reviews because he wanted to make sure. And he kept getting them all wrong. Well, I'm sorry, you can't have it both ways where either you want the umpire to be more assertive and more sure of themselves on the off chance that they get something horrifically wrong like the weekend or you want them to check absolutely everything. So I want to ask you your opinion, Athos. Is it time for the AFL to review every single behind and every single goal and every single out of bounds on the fall that is close to the goals? Is it time that they review just about everything? Is that how you fix something like this from happening? I'm quite comfortable with just goals being reviewed. It's funny because... In soccer, they, they've gone the complete opposite where because of VAR now, all linesmen are told don't put your flag up unless it's blatantly obvious for offside. So you'll see a lot of times ones that most people would call offside, but the linesmen keep their flags down and wait because then if a goal scored, every, every goal is checked. So it's funny that they they have that mindset where they're told, mate, if you're not, if you're not like, bang on 100% obvious. If he's not two metres offside, put your flag down or keep it down and it'll come out in the wash if it is offside. Or they wait another 30 seconds for the play to end before they put their flags up. 
for that reason, so that you know, if it, if they do score an offside goal, it is checked. But I'm comfortable in, in an AFL context that every goal is reviewed. I don't think we need to to go completely the other way. We're behinds and uh, boundary throw-ins are need, needed to review, needed to be reviewed. This was an honest mistake. It it happens. They'll learn from this. I don't think we need to do what the AFL generally does and knee-jerk reaction their way through this because it'll just create more problems than, you know, what they're trying to resolve. So I'm quite comfortable with the process. Does the technology need to get better? Absolutely. It it does. Everyone agrees. But I think the process, the way they go about it is is pretty good. I am going to um, play devil's advocate for a second at FOSS. I, because partially, I, I, I kind of agree with you in the sense that it would be a knee-jerk reaction to make sudden changes, considering that I genuinely cannot remember a goal review situation that has been as controversial as this, as clear-cut as a goal umpire actually getting something so spectacularly wrong. 2010, I have no idea if you remember this. I remember this. Mm. Hollywood versus Geelong at the MCG. Cats get a clear-cut goal. Shannon Byrne, I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, it was, right was, on, it was on the goal line, wasn't it? It yeah. was on the goal. It was. It wasn't even on the goal line. It was like three meters before the goal line. Mm. It was a clear goal, and the umpire caught it up behind somehow, and the pies were able to run over the top of them from there. Not since that moment, actually, no. The grand final in twenty eleven, shot from I think it was might have been Didac hitting the post midway up and the umpire looking at it and then signaling a goal. Don't know what happened there. Mm. Not since that moment has we have we had a situation that has been so catastrophically incorrect by a goal umpire. But I want to ask you this, right? Surely it is the responsibility of the competition to create a system of technology and a system... Uh, in a, a process that the goal umpires use using that technology to iron out any possibility of this happening because it's one thing for a team to be eliminated from finals contention because of a situation like this imagine a team losing a grand final like this mm. it would be the biggest contract, like forget the Essendon drug saga, forget the Crows camp, forget Carlton cheating the salary cap and forget Melbourne tanking. This would be the biggest controversy in the history of the competition. So surely, surely it is the responsibility of the competition to create a system that would eliminate any potential for this to happen. Surely. Well, I think in that case, I don't think it would happen in a grand final because in a grand final, I think they would be that meticulous in, in today's day and age. I think if the technology does need to improve, and, and I think that absolutely can cost team games, it arguably did in the elimination final last year. But I think in, when we're talking about human error, this is one, there are, what, an average of 15 goals kicked the game, so... 15 by 9 is is what, 135. So 135 goals kicked every weekend. And, and this was one human error out of, you know, 135 goals, one goal that, that should have counted. So I, I don't think that 
we'll ever get this kind of error again, particularly not now after after this one. I think the the improvement needs to come in, in the technology where we need to get sharper cameras, better angles uh, to rectify the, the human error. I, I think this one was a mistake solely on, on the umpires of the ground. They should have reviewed it. Um, and hopefully they learn from this. I think they will learn from this because, and I, and I think they all know this, they don't even need to learn from this because this is the only time in 10, 13 years where, where this has happened. And I don't think it'll happen again. So I don't think we need to worry too much about this kind of thing happening again. I think we need to worry more about the, the technology aspect of it and, and improving that. Um, look, I just one last thought before before we go on here. I just think that human error is absolutely I think an unfortunate an unfortunate thing about our game is that you know mistakes happen and umpires I feel for them they get crucified far more than any other any other um part of our game more so than coaches more so than players more so than supporters uh more so than club staff they are the ones whose every single minute decision and action gets absolutely scrutinized especially on the uh in 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 the day and age of the internet but i think that the technology has to improve and i agree with that but what is the point in having better technology if we're not going to have a system and a process that we use it every single time would be my but, but i think i think the the process at the moment is fine so we've got crappy technology now but i think 99 times out of 100 with with the one on saturday night being the the exception, the umpires call for a review. He's not sure. And they use the crappy technology to the best of their ability to make a call that they feel is is pretty bang on. So if we just have sharper angles, then you just eliminate the, the potential for, for a mistake sort of further. Because I think the way they go about it is, is fine. I, I don't think it wastes. I mean, sometimes it can waste too much time, but that's only because the, the arc and the, the camera angles are so crappy. So I think the 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 steps in place that they follow are, are pretty good. I don't think you can really do too much more than that, than what they've currently got. They just need better camera angles and that'll, I reckon, fix most of it. On to your other low light. Um, there's been a little bit of talk around the industry, particularly from David King, and Kane Corn saying that the dogs should part way with Luke Beveridge at the end of the season. Athos, when I ask your opinion, considering that they have a top four list, really, they have a top four list. I mean, sure, their defense isn't great, but that midfield and that forward line is just it's the envy of every single club in the competition. As an Essendon supporter, I want that forward line. But I want to ask mm. you, does missing finals, because really they're in a position to miss finals. They're ninth. They need to beat Geelong in Geelong and then hope the Giants lose in order to make it. Will missing finals mean that Luke Beveridge should be under pressure to keep his job? I think he's already under pressure. I don't know if he should be sacked. I don't think it's our place to say, uh, considering you know we don't see how he coaches 95% of the time. We only really see him coach for, for two hours on a Saturday. And even then, we don't quite understand the, the intricacies of, of game plans and messaging. But if he if he can't inspire the players any anymore, if he feels like he can't, or not if he feels, if the club feels he can't really add too much more, then they really have to consider 
his future. We have seen, though, in the past that coaches under the knife have turned it around. Nathan Buckley did it nearly. Uh, Damien Hardwick did it. Uh, Chris Scott, to an extent, did it. So it might be a great opportunity this summer for Bevo to go away, go on holiday, read a book, you know, unwind and, and come back refreshed with, with a new mindset that can inspire this team. But there are also plenty of other good teams. I mean, as good as the Bulldogs are, I don't think they're as good as Melbourne, Collingwood, Brisbane, Carlton. So as good as they've been, the Dogs, they've never quite been a, a comfortable top four team, not even a comfortable top four list. I always think there have been much better teams. They're very reflective of their sort of mantra of they're a, a tough-to-beat working-class team. They've never been out and out the best team in the competition. Uh, I think this list can get there, but but even as, as good as it is now, it's it's never quite been, you know, a comfortable top four team. And I don't know whether Bevo Bevo could do it or another one, but to answer your question, I think he's already under pressure, and he'd know it. The players would know it, which is why, you know, for their sake and for the Bulldog supporters' sake, I hope they they come out and beat Geelong and and get into the finals. Hmm. I, I don't think Bevo should lose his job. I agree. I still think the 2016 Premiership and the 2021 Grand Final holds a fair bit of sway about when he should, the fact that he should stay. And Kane Corns may disagree with that, saying that 2016 was a long time ago. It was seven years ago now. Um, God, that makes me feel old. But yeah, seven years ago. But with that being said, in the context of this club, Seven years is nothing waiting for a flag. And I still think that he has enough goodwill carried from the 2016 Premiership and the 2021 Grand Final run that should tie him over for another year. With that being said, assuming that they miss finals football in round 24, which is looking likely, next year should be the year. If they don't make top six, dare I say top four next year with the list that they have, Bevo should be shown the door, especially if they miss finals. It's such a great list. But I just wonder, you see, and I think it was Caroline Wilson who pointed this out, all the little niggling things that have just started to go a little bit astray at the dogs. You wonder why Josh Dunkley wanted out so many times out of the dogs wanted out didn't work still wanted out after winning the after winning the best and fairest and then you see luke beveridge losing it at tom morris you see bevo just on edge all the time and i just wonder if the dogs just need a fresh voice if the if they're getting stale i wonder if he's lost the playing group and only they can answer the question whether or not he's lost a playing group. I don't even think he can answer that question, truthfully. But I tell you what, 2024 has to be the year where they make top four football. Because frankly, I I, I asked, um, I, I, was at, I was at a Bulldogs presser earlier in the year when I spent a week with the Herald Sun Sports Desk. And it was at that presser back in May where Bevo said that our goal every single year is to make top four football. And on that premise, He's been a failure of a coach 
as harsh as it is to say, he has been a failure of a coach, especially the last couple of years. So I think 2023, Bevo is okay, but next year is the year. It has to be. And who knows, maybe he'll turn it around like Ken Hinckley has this year. You know, this time last year, Ken Hinckley was under pressure. Top four football, Porter challenging for the flag. Who knows, 12 months from now, there might be the dogs. But remains to be seen, I reckon. Remains to be seen. Now, from your lowlights to one of my lowlights, I want to ask you about the Bombers as I am cradling my old 1980s logo Essendon football uh, like a comfy, like a little comfort uh, thing. I want to ask you, do you think that the loss to the Giants has completely undone all the good work that Essendon has done this year up until the last couple of games? No, absolutely not. When you're an improving side, you're going to cop these backhanded losses from time to time. Sort of, they're in a sort of a similar position that that Hawthorne are, where they've almost done the reverse Hawthorne, where Hawthorne at the start of the year were being bashed from pillar to post, and now they're they've stubbornly stuck to their game plan, and it's and it's working out. Whereas Essendon started well, and and perhaps now are falling away a bit, but Essendon have shown some good signs of improvement. Their, their players look like they want to be there. They're still, you know, they're still Essendon. It's still a still real banter club vibes with them. Uh, sometimes, but it's we're seeing less and less of that. At least we can sort of see what they're trying to do, and I think finals, you know, can realistically happen within the next two years. So no, I don't think it it, it undoes anything. It's disappointing for sure. It'll stick you know when you look back on this season. But uh, I think they've they've done really well this year. They've pulled together some good wins, and next year I think they'll they'll go a step further. And who knows, maybe even crack finals next year. With another favourable draw, if they get West Coast and North Melbourne twice again, then there you go. They're, they're nearly there. I think for Essendon supporters, and, and, and I, I said on the last podcast episode that perhaps Essendon supporters, perhaps we are the problem. Because you make the Hawthorne comparison, but they've won four premierships this century so far. They've won four premierships since the last time Essendon's won a final, for crying out loud. Like, you go back to 2004 and Essendon were just coming to the end of that golden era. The Hawks were second last on the ladder. Massive amounts of debts. They were terrible. Bringing out the class in, boom, 2008 Premiership, 2013, 14, 15, 3 P. So I, I, I get what you are saying. I think the expectation of the Essendon Football Club supporters can be really suffocating on the club. And I think the club is almost too self-aware of that at the moment. Um, I saw a ridiculous comment on social media saying that this whole Essendon downfall this season started with the whole logo drama. Hmm. Remember that a few weeks ago when Essendon are going to change their logo? Oh, are they going to get rid of the bomber plane? Are they not going to get rid of the bomber? Who cares? Who cares? You want to know why it was such a big story? Because it was the Essendon supporters who freaking talked about how controversial it was on social media. That's why it was such a big story. Goodness, no wonder the club couldn't focus on football in the last few weeks with supporters like us, for crying out loud. I think we've had a lot of great positive moments this season, but I think the last six weeks have shown 
that we are still extremely young and that our older players, I don't think, are as good as what we thought they were. And so whether that means that Parrish walks, whether that means that Heppel will retire at the end of next season, I don't know. But I think our young players are really, 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 really good. We just need to start developing a culture of winning. And I hope that Brad Scott takes the broom through the planes, through the playing list and just sweeps out all the dead wood. It's already started. It's already started with the first player uh, recently, I'm not going to name him, um, being told that he won't be handed a contract next year. And also one of my favorite players, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody retiring again for the second time. Um, absolute fantastic player. It's devastating that his comeback didn't work out the way that it promised to when in round one he kicked that great goal. But um, lots mm-hmm. of fantastic moments, and I will never, ever, ever forget being uh, at the first game that he played at the MCG when we upset Melbourne in 2016 and hearing at the last at, at the end of the last quarter the chance of Tepa, Tepa, Tepa. Already a cult hero in game two. Um, he's been a phenomenal player for us over the years, and I wish him all the best in retirement. Um, on to the next kind of major talking point. And uh, it's not just big news in the world of AFL. It's also big news in the world of AFLW as well with the not only the captains gathering before the season starts next week, but also, more importantly, with the announcement that the AFLW prize money has gone up to $1.1 million for the clubs uh, to be split between the clubs that finish inside the top eight, uh, which is equal to the men's competition for the top eight clubs as well. Um, I want to ask you, Athos, in your opinion, what is the next step for the AFLW competition? I think the next step is to make the the actual competition itself more legitimate. So we're not scrambling around with a few weeks to go before the season starts, not knowing who's playing who, not knowing the fixture, not knowing a, a lot of things. So it's great that they've they've got to 18 clubs, but I think if they treat it more like a professional league and, and clubs aren't sort of scrambling around and players aren't sort of wondering where they're playing, you know, three or four weeks before the, the campaign starts, I think that, that'd be a good start. Uh, I think this, it's a great announcement, the, the prize money pool. It means that clubs will be rewarded um, for finishing higher on the ladder. It gives a, a bit more incentive. You know, clubs might put a few more resources into their women's programs uh, because they know there's a, a chunky piece of pie at the end for, for the better teams. But I, I think a lot of the improvements are just things that will gradually come as the, the league evolves. Mm. I think that's a fair point. I, I think that's a fair point that you make and to help make it more legitimate. We've got to, we've got to increase the amount of games that clubs play. We absolutely have to. Now, the problem with the Australian sports calendar is how do you fit an extra 17 rounds of football around the men's competition and to make sure that it doesn't encroach too much on cricket? And I am proposing that the grand final gets played like in the NRLW on the men's grand final day as a curtain raiser. So you start the season, if you want to have 17 rounds, in the early stages of the men's season, 
you don't have a buy for the women's finals and you just go straight through to the grand final, you line up the finals and then grand final day, you can have the TAC Cup, whatever it's called these days, early on, then the AFLW and then the men's. What a great opportunity that is. I love how the NRLW does that because they are always guaranteed a big crowd TV-wise and a big crowd at the game. That's so much better than getting 5,000, 10,000 people at the freaking Icon Park in early December on a sweltering 40-degree day. That's what I think the competition should do. Expand. Now, it doesn't have to be next year, but expand eventually to 17 games. Because you cannot have a legitimate competition where it takes six years for Melbourne and Geelong to play each other for the first time, for crying out loud. But I think they are going to slowly work towards that, and it is an exciting time for the AFLW competition. Uh, I think there's one more talking point that I want to mention, and uh, it is big off-field news. Uh, I think it might have been our paper, who called it the worst kept secret in all of footy. Uh, Damien Hardwick announced as the new head coach of the Gold Coast Suns Football Club. Got to say, it looks really, really weird to see him dressed up in the Mm. red and yellow Mackers colours of the Gold Coast. But I want to ask your opinion. Now that the Suns have their man, Dimmer Mm -hmm. reckons that they have 80% of their premiership list already there. What is the expectation? What should the expectation be of the group in 2024 and beyond, what, in your opinion, is a pass mark for next season? Well, the Suns have never had a, a winning season, so they've never won, won more games than they've lost. I mm. think. Yeah, correct. So I think that'd be that. That would be a great start. Uh, I think a pass mark would be to have a season where, okay, those eighty percent, that eighty percent of the the next Premiership team are fit. So. Matt Rowell, Noah Anderson, Ben King, Tukmiller, they're all fit. They all play 18 to 20 games because that's been one of Gold Coast's issues. They've never really had a, a year where Ben King or Matt Rowell or these guys all played together for a, a prolonged period of time. So uh, Hardwick had great uh, injury success at Richmond in 2017, so hopefully he can bring a bit of that to Gold Coast. So that would be a good start. And I think if they can make finals, that that should be the benchmark for every team. That should be the pass mark for, for every team. So finals for me and uh, a, a year where uh, they have minimal injuries, to, particularly to their best players. I think that is absolutely a fair call. I reckon a... I always think that the Suns are going to make finals and they always disappoint me. But now you actually have a coach that knows what it's like to take a club from the doldrums to premiership Mm. success. Now, the challenge for him will be that he hasn't had the chance to mold this club, this playing list, like he did at Richmond. So he hasn't had that time to develop, you know, the connections that he did with Richmond Mm. before they made finals football. But I partially think that the expectation should be finals footy. And more importantly, stop playing three quarters of football. It costs them against Carlton twice. It costs them against Collingwood to start the season so uh, to start the game so poorly. It their round one game was lost ten minutes into the first quarter because they didn't show up for the first term against Sydney. 
multiple opportunities lost this year for the Suns where they could have won games, but instead they only played two to three quarters of football, and that was it. If you get them playing four quarters of football, work on their fitness, work on their attitude, there's no reason why they can't play finals football in 2024. No reason why not. On to the predictions for round 24. We'll go game by game. I'll let you start off with this one, Athos. It's the Bombers and the Magpies on Friday Night Football. Essendon, where they whop in six players out, the Pies also with injury concerns, looking to shore up the minor premiership. And it would be such an Essendon thing to do to win this game. But who are you tipping in this one? I think like a lot of games this season, uh, this round, sorry, this is going to be bruise-free. We're going to see hardly any tackles. Essendon's got, I mean, Collingwood, of course, are playing for a, a top two finish. That they'll get a home final regardless. It'll be as to whether they finish on top or second. Uh, whereas Essendon's minds are on Ibiza and the the Spanish and Amalfi Coast. So I don't think anyone wants to get hurt today uh, tomorrow. But in saying that, I think Collingwood will win comfortably. I to predict Collingwood, uh, these two teams, they almost always play each other really, really close. So I can't see either club blowing this out. Um, I think it's going to be a closer game than what a lot of people think. At least I sure hope so. But with all that Collingwood have to play for, they would also know the fact that no club has had a poorer end to the season in the last 10 years and then gone on to win the premiership than Collingwood has had so far this year. And they want to hit September on the winning form. I'm tipping the Pies to win by just under three goals. I think it should be a good game, but the Pies by about three goals. On to the first dead rubber match on Saturday. It's the North Melbourne Kangaroos. I was actually, well, uh, yeah, sure, we'll go North Melbourne first. North Melbourne versus Gold Coast at Bluntstone Arena down in Hobart. Uh I want to ask you, Athos, um, I know I said we were going to take this turn by turn, but you know what? Screw it. I'll let you go first with this one as well. Can the Suns equal their best ever season win-loss-wise with their 10th win for the year, or can the Kangaroos end a 20-game losing streak? They both can. It's it's The question is, will they? I think, I think Gold Coast will win. I think they'll look to show off in front of their, their new coach. Whereas, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether North Melbourne should lose to, to shore up pick one, but I, I think Gold Coast will, will beat them. They've got a, an added incentive in wanting to look good in front of Dimmer, who I'm sure will be watching closely. So I think Gold Coast wins this, this one. The Suns should win this one. If they lose this one, Dimmer might rethink his contract signing. Cool. In the NFL early in the 2000s, Bill Belichick signed with the New York Jets for about a day or two before signing with the New England Patriots. And the rest is history, as they say in the NFL. Uh, Would not be surprised if the same thing happens here if Dimmer and his sons end up losing. He'll he'll, he'll sign with West Coast next, I think. (laughs) But yeah, no, I think the Suns are going to win. I think North Melbourne... Poor North Melbourne. I mean, I cannot think of a worse club, uh, a worse four-season stretch for a club since probably, I would say even further back than the end of Fitzroy, probably since Sydney in the early 90s. 
early to mid 90s. That's how poor North Melbourne have been. Um, it's absolutely shambolic how their season is going. And I kind of agree with, I think it was Damian Barrett who pointed out the fact that how bad North Melbourne have been this year has kind of been masked by how poor West Coast have been. I mean, with West Coast's mm-hmm. awful percentage, but the Eagles have one more win than them. Yeah. And yet we put all the pressure on West Coast. Interesting. Uh, we go on to the other dead rubber match, which is on at the exact same time at the MCG. It's Hawthorne versus Fremantle, a rare game for the Dockers at the MCG. Athos, the Hawks are flying at the moment. Fremantle also having a promising end to the season, uh, what with a dominant derby display followed by a pretty respectable loss to a top-four side in Port Adelaide. Who's going to come out on top? I think Hawthorne wins. I think they've adjusted really well to Sam Mitchell's game plan. They're, they're sticking to it quite stubbornly, which uh, I think is always good. I think Sam Ball is going to be very successful for Hawthorne in, in years to come. So I think Hawthorne win this one as well. They're, they're proving to be a pretty plucky team. I hate to say this as an Essendon supporter, and as a as a as a as a good natured Essendon supporter who absolutely loathes everything brown and gold, but I do think Hawthorne will win this. Um, interstate clubs really struggle at the MCG. Fremantle don't have a lot of um. That being said, though, Fremantle I've been in Melbourne there the last couple of years, but I think that Fremantle is a club that rises to the occasion. If they're playing a really really good opponent away, they'll rise to that opponent's level. But if they're playing an opponent around them or below them, who they should be, they'll also play to their level as well. And I think Hawthorne will come out and win this, I think, pretty comfortably in the end by about five or six goals. On to an intriguing clash, especially if Essendon end up beating Collingwood. But even if the Pies get over the top, this game will be for a top two spot for the Brisbane Lions, whether it is first or second. It is Brisbane versus St Kilda. If the Saints win, a home final will be on the cards. Uh, They've said, apparently they've come out and said that they would rather play a home final at Marvel Stadium, which St Kilda, what are you doing? Just focus on winning this game of football. I think Simon Leflin came out and said that. What are you doing, Simo? Just shut up and let your club play football. What on earth are you doing saying, no, we'd rather play at Marvel State? You will play wherever you are goddamn told to play. I'm sorry, if there is a club that has absolutely no right to say, no, we demand to play here instead of here, it is St. Kilda. At least Geelong have the premiership success where they can act arrogant. St. Kilda has absolutely nothing. But I want to ask you, Athos, in your opinion, will it be Brisbane securing a top two spot or will it be the Saints at least temporarily holding on to sixth and potentially fifth? I, I think it'll be Brisbane. I think this Brisbane side has the point to prove. If Brisbane can't make a grand final this year and then lock up a top two spot, they're going to slowly but surely run out of chances. They, they blew... The unblowable in 2020 when they played, they got to play home games when no one else could. They had a home prelim against uh, a not as good Geelong, and they they couldn't win that. Whereas this year again, an, an op- a golden opportunity to at least qualify for a grand final presents itself. I mean, it would be very, I think, Brisbane to lose this one, but I I think this is a very different team. They're putting other clubs to the sword. And unfortunately for St Kilda, I think the Saints are going to fall victim to a 
another rampaging Brisbane performance. I think Brisbane wins this one. I think it will be Brisbane in a nail-biter. I think they've gotten away with uh, underwhelming victories at home recently, especially against the Crows where they just fell over the line by six points. Uh, but that win against Collingwood was a powerful, mm. powerful performance in Melbourne. I know it was at Marvel Stadium and, and not the MCG. All the Collingwood supporters on social media said, oh, well, just wait until we play them at the MCG. Doesn't matter, Pies fans. You lost six in a row to them. Deal with it. I think the Lions at the Gabba during the home and away season, too strong for anyone to beat up there. They they bullied Melbourne. They bullied Collingwood up there. Um, I think that they'll be too strong for St Kilda, and I think the Lions will win. I think it'll be closer than what a lot of people think, but about two to three goals and secure a top two spot and a home qualifying final. Uh, on to Geelong and the Western Bulldogs. Fascinating game of football in Geelong with the Cats all out, but the Dogs potentially needing to win to jump into the eight at least for Saturday night. Athos by the sounds of it, you're tipping the dogs in this one. Yeah, Geelong has Cameron and Tom Hawkins out. Hmm. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure they'll make quite a few other changes closer to the day. If anyone's got any niggles, Geelong's a pretty well-run club like that, where you know they know where they sit. They'll they'll reset for next year, and I'm sure they'll be back. Whereas the dogs have a have a point to prove. So I think the Bulldogs will win. How far they'll go from there is anyone's guess, but I think they will win on Saturday and and at least be in the eighth for 24 hours or 12 hours. That is fascinating. The Dogs have not won in Geelong in absolute decades. I think because if this game is at Marvel, I would have no trouble tipping the dogs. But their end of the season has been so disappointing. And Geelong, even with all the injuries out, there are clubs that know how to beat Geelong in Geelong. You think the Giants, Fremantle, to a lesser extent, Sydney. And then there are the rest of us who have absolutely no idea how to beat Geelong in Geelong. And I think the dogs are one of those at home. Geelong will be too strong and it should be a good game. I'm tipping the cats by about 10 points uh, from a close game to what should be a blowout with the Coleman medal potentially up for grabs still for Taylor Walker. He kicked 10 goals against the Eagles last time. How many will he kick this time, Athos? Well, considering Adelaide can't play finals anymore, I think, I think it'll be a fun player if you're a fun game if you're an Adelaide player. I think they will want to give it the text at every opportunity. Mm. Uh, I think he, I think he could kick upwards of, of six goals, at the very least. Uh, I I I wouldn't be surprised if he kicks eight or nine again. And you know why not? You have to have a bit of fun if you're Adelaide an Adelaide player. I think you just give it to him at all costs. Playing one out of the goal square, or one out center forward because he has a booming kick. So at least this game has a you know a bit of intrigue to it to see how many he will kick. But in saying that, I mean, West Coast won last week. They'll be wanting to prove that you know they're you know not the embarrassment that everyone thinks they are. Well, Adelaide know that Taylor Walker needs a massive bag to hit the front of the Coleman race. In fact, he needs nine goals to hit the front of the Coleman race. I think he's going to get it. 
setting up for a thrilling end to the season, not just for Carlton, but for Charlie Kerno as well. I'm tipping the Crows by about 70 points at least. I think it'll be a blowout and uh, easily the most lopsided comp, uh, game of the weekend. Um, on to Sunday's matches, and it starts off 12.30 p.m. Interesting time slot in the East Coast. I think it actually starts midday in South Australia, which is a really interesting time slot on Sunday. Um, the AFL wanted to spread out all the games so that they don't overlap. Port Adelaide versus Richmond. Uh, in your opinion, as also as a Tiger supporter, they're currently at $6.05, the odds for this game, Richmond. Uh, uh, surely they can't pull it off, surely. No, I don't think so. This will be another game where Richmond's mind is on uh, the Greek islands and Port Adelaide are going to look to get into some form heading into final. So I expect Richmond will roll out the red carpet for Port Adelaide and the power could win by close to 100 points, I think. Wow. Uh, I'm not quite so pessimistic on the Tigers. I, I, I think Port Adelaide will win by about seven to eight goals. I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer. I wouldn't be surprised if it's more than that. But I think seven to eight goals is comfortable enough for Port Adelaide where they don't get any injuries. They won't get any suspensions, but they carry some important momentum. What a crazy season for Port Adelaide it's been. Started off the year one and two, 13 in a row before losing four in a row. And if they win against Richmond, they'll be three in a row, 10 this season. Absolutely crazy. I think this means that either they're going to go all the way in September and not have a defeat, or they're going to go out in straight sets, one or the other. On to the Sunday 3.20 p.m. time slot. Uh, a while ago, it was looking like it would all be about Buddy and his retirement, but out of nowhere, the Swans have come along and they could shore up a home elimination final, Athos, if they beat the Demons. Meanwhile, if Brisbane lose to St. Kilda and if Richmond beat Port Adelaide, a top two spot might still be on offer for Melbourne. So I want to ask your opinion. In a battle of the two biggest cities in Australia, who comes out on top? I actually don't know. I think I think the safe bet would be Melbourne. But even Melbourne has been they've been doing just enough to win games. And and you'd like to think that uh, I mean, I think they, they need a, a real dominant sort of statement making performance before finals just to prove that. They are within the, the scope of winning this, this year's premiership. I don't think you can just turn it on come first, the first final. So I think Melbourne will uh, will come out to play in this one. Sydney, have, they've got finals sewn up. So I don't think they need to worry too much, even if they, you know, they can't get the four points. But I think Melbourne uh, will win this one. It'll be close. But I, I think we'll see a good Melbourne performance and, and they'll do enough to win. I am going the opposite here as a Swan supporter. It's at the SCG, Sydney heading into September with all sorts of momentum. Melbourne looking really unconvincing. Just got over the line against Hawthorne. Um, I'm tipping that the Swans, even without Buddy Franklin, I mean, Buddy, you know, struggled against Melbourne anyways at the best of times. Oh, bless you. Uh, dear listener, you couldn't see that, but he sneezed him twice. Bless you. I'm tipping the Swans to win in a nail-biter by less than a goal, it should be an absolute thrilling game of football. Melbourne 
well, they beat the Swans at the SCG in 2019. Before that, I struggled to remember the last time they won at the SCG. They don't win there a lot. Um, if it was at the MCG, I'd be tipping Melbourne, but in Sydney, it's the Swans for me. On to the last game of the season, and what a thriller this be. Ideal scenario for the AFL. The Blues need to get Charlie Kerno at least a couple of goals for him to clinch the Coleman medal. The Giants will be sitting in ninth after the Dogs beat the Cats to sneak into eighth, meaning that the Giants need to win in order for them to play finals football and to set up a rematch against Carlton in the first week of the finals. Athos, it is so exciting. Who wins? Can the Giants cause an upset and bring Carlton's win streak to an end? It's probably better for Carlton if they lose this weekend because I think they'd much rather play the Giants at the MCG in the first final rather than the Bulldogs. So I don't think Carlton supporters would be too disappointed if they lost this one. Uh, it is good to see Walsh and, and Chera back in. No, they're, they're coming along really nicely, Carlton. Uh, but uh, even though, uh, you know, it probably would be better for them for GWS to, to win and, and play them in the first final, I still think Carlton are going to win there. You know, they haven't qualified properly for finals since 2011. And and I think they'll want to make a real statement heading into finals. They've won, what, nine, ten in a row. I think they'll they'll want to really kick the door down with the win and, and sort of come in with that attitude that's like, you know, we don't care who we're going to play. We don't fear anyone. And they shouldn't. They're, they're a good team this year. But, you know, if I was a Carlton supporter, I, I wouldn't be too disappointed if they lost on Sunday and got to play the Giants the week later. I uh, have no justification for this, except for my absolute undying hatred for Carlton mm-hmm. and my extreme saltiness for how this season has transpired. But I'm tipping the Giants by 175 points. No, in all seriousness, I do think the Giants will win. Uh, it will be a close game, perhaps not as close as many people think. I think the Blues will have that reset that they need heading into finals football because um, they've been a little lucky the last couple of weeks, got away with a goal review against mm-hmm. Melbourne and got away with a horrible start against Gold Coast. We'll say what's very funny seeing on social media, all the Carlton supporters turn on their boys at quarter time of the Gold Coast game. That was Absolutely hilarious. But anyways, Athos, before we go, I want to ask your opinion. Which game is the game you're most looking forward to this weekend? I'm going to say Adelaide West Coast. I'm intrigued to see how many Tex Walker kicks and whether it'll be just route one to Tex from Adelaide's midfielders. I like it. I like it. I am tipping uh, as a neutral supporter, Brisbane versus St Kilda. What a mammoth game of football it is with huge ramifications and two clubs that often play each other pretty close. It should be a thriller. Athos, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. I hope to have you on future episodes, mate. Good luck for Sunday. Uh, wish you Wish your boys well against the power. Thanks, Casper. Thank you for uh, letting me ride shotgun tonight. And uh, I look forward to listening back to this and to seeing how the the rest of the uh, season transpires. Dear listener, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Join us next week as finals finally hit the AFL and we will discuss everything with regards to the top eight clubs, the 10 clubs that have missed out, 
and all to come in September as well as the start of the AFLW season. Until then, sayonara. Sayonara.